Welcome to another podcast from Generations Church. We trust you will be encouraged today. Um, we are kicking off a new series today, and um, I'm not excited about it at all. It's called The End. Oh, we were, I was going to tell the guys to play a song. I forgot all about it. Um, talking, talking about The End will scramble your brain, just so you know. And um, it is, uh, is going to be a series on the book of Revelation, because that's the buzz in the world today, is, oh my goodness, we got to talk about Revelation. And uh, just so you know, we actually always do talk about Revelation in this church. Um, it's just most people aren't aware. Most people just aren't aware of what Revelation is actually about. And um, some of you this morning might be totally offended uh, by what you hear, and I'm okay with that. Uh, because we have a number of things we want to address in the series, and a lot of it is is just going to be to undo some some poorly precon- preconceived notions of of what we're to be looking for in this day. And in fact, if I could just preemptively sum up the whole thing, it's I think there's way too much focus on one part of the message, and entirely no focus on the actual part that we can participate in right now. And that's why it needs to be said. That's why we need to go here. And uh, so uh, the title of today's message, of course, the end, and the title of the message today is It's Not Enough to Be Ready. So already some people are going to be like, oh boy, here we, here we go. Uh, but if you've been with us long enough, if you've ever watched us online, <coughs> um, you know that we're a little cowboy about this, the way we do things. And um, I think that everybody wants, I think everybody wants to be handled in the church like they're lambs all the time. And if you've ever raised, anybody ever raised any sheep? We have sheep on our farm. Um, so I know a thing or two about sheep. Not enough, but a thing or two. And I know that when we have lambs, uh, everybody, every one of you, I don't care how tough you think you are, you could have neck tats that say you've been in a Russian prison and been an assassin. I don't know. You could, you, you could be the toughest guy in this place. And I guarantee you, if I put a baby lamb in your arms, you will start to puddle up like a little baby. Because that's what lambs do. But those of you who know lambs probably also know sheep, and sheep are an entirely different world. Sheep, you grab them wherever you can grab them. You flip them upside down. You drag them. You get them to where they need to go. This is why the Bible, just I'm going to take this rabbit trail right off the start. Uh, the reason why um, Jesus, why, why, why God refers to us as sheep is because, is because when sheep are newly born, they are fun, they are free, they are all those kinds of things. Just like when, when a person becomes saved. And then as they grow, we often think of sheep as being entirely stupid, and, and they kind of are. I mean, they will drown themselves because of the amount of wool they have if they get near water. And, and, but, but here's the thing I realize. It's that as sheep mature, their focus becomes entirely placed on what is best for the next generation. That's why the Bible refers to God's people as sheep. It's because we are called to do the same thing. As we mature, now don't, please don't run to, okay, as we mature, God wants us to get dumber and dumber. That's not what it is. As we mature in Christ, though, we are to become more and more focused, not on ourselves, but on the next generation. And that's why a sheep eats and eats and eats and eats it so it can produce young. It can have offspring. And this pattern is what you will see. And I think that, I think that we need to realize something. And we say it often in this church, welcome to Generations Church, it's no longer about you. 
And that's a reality of faith. It's a reality of the body of Christ. As you come into relationship with Jesus, it becomes less about you, more about him, and even more about those who don't know him yet. And the church needs to be obsessed with Jesus, yes. But the second thing the church must be obsessed with is winning the lost. And the problem we have right now in this generation is we have a North American church that has got its suitcases packed and is waiting for Scotty to beam them up to the enterprise because surely this is the end. We could not be more wrong if that's our mindset today. I'm going to show that to you this morning. So here we go. There is no book of the Bible that is more confusing than Revelation in my opinion. Unless you flip to the Song of Songs. Because I still don't know what they should do with the younger sister. See, now that tells me how many of you have read your Bible. Because the real Bible theologians in this room know what verse I'm talking about. And we would all blush and chuckle. So assignment for you who don't know what the joke is. You're going to go to Song of Songs today and you're going to find out what then shall we do with our younger sister. All right? Um, and if you can get your head around that and how that applies to the gospel, I applaud you. Because you are a profoundly deep theologian. Now, I'm just kidding. There's an answer for that. But, but Revelation is confusing. And so here's what I want you to understand. Revelation has been taught and it actually has been twisted and warped by many traditions over the years. Now, let me say, I am also pretty sure that almost every tradition has gotten some parts of it absolutely right. So I'm not sitting here being or standing here being entirely critical of other liturgies or of other doctrinal interpretations. I, I, I happily acknowledge there are many things that the church worldwide has gotten right. But I think we got to be honest with ourselves and admit that there's a lot of mystery left in the things that we truly can't understand. In the way we approach the book of Revelation, it's very, very important. That we interpret and understand the book of Revelation in the context of the rest of all scripture. Revelation is not some deviation from God's plan. It's not a switch up where it becomes the only thing. It would be like those, those, uh, those in, the, in the doctrine that believe that they should only follow the red letters in the Bible. Well, how do you do that when John says in the beginning was the word and the word became flesh? The word was with God and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. What do, you, what do you do with that? Because all the letters of scripture are inspired divinely by God. And the author of those is Jesus. So we need to interpret scripture by scripture. And, you know, I am, I am raised in the Baptocostal tradition of understanding the book of Revelation to be about rapture, tribulation, millennial reign, and all kinds of variances in between and around. That's the tradition I was raised in. And it, and it is largely the tradition that North America has been raised in. North America. And I could go on a long rant about, uh, about uh, imperialism and the way that uh, the Nicolaitans were behaving and what they were trying to set up and how the Roman Empire was all about emperor worship. And certainly you will see that old paganism in the world of secular humanism today. We are, we are very quickly moving towards something that looks an awful lot like emperor worship in the world. 
And certainly the Bible does talk about it. And certainly we can be aware of who we're worshiping. But listen, we need to come back to some basic understanding of why we're actually here, what our mission, what our mandate is, and why it's so important that we stay on task with our calling. You see, being raised Baptocostal, as I call it, has caused me to have a lot of questions about a lot of things because the same wonderful Sunday school teachers, men and women, the same Bible college professors that taught me about eschatology also taught me to interpret scripture with the help of scripture under the leading of the Holy Spirit. And, and, and what's happening as we go through that and we observe the times that we're in. Babe, I need a bottle of water in the worst way, please. But as we go through and understand the times that we're in, the temptation very quickly to becomes, thank you. The temptation becomes to focus on end times and end things. And the question of, is this the end? But there's a more important question. It's that, is your neighbor going to be in heaven with you? That's the question. And, and let me just tell you, if you want to impress Jesus for whatever this is worth to you today, that question should consume your life far more than knowing the date or the time that Jesus comes again. Because you can't know that anyways. The Bible says that Jesus doesn't even know. The Son of Man does not know the hour. Now, as I've gotten older, I realize that some teaching that I received when I was young doesn't necessarily line up with what the Holy Spirit is showing us and leading us into now. And I don't say that with not even a microscopic amount of disrespect for those who taught. I am not, hear this, I am not being critical. I am not being critical of the doctrines I was raised with. I'm just saying we need to adopt an attitude whereby we are teachable through all the days of our lives. That's what we need to have. A teachable heart. Because the heart that says, I know everything there is to know about what God is doing is a legalistic heart, a hypocritical heart, a Pharisean heart. You're deceived. You're, 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 in, you're, you're entangled in religion. And by the way, that doesn't mean that everything and absolutely anything is up for debate or transition. We simply need to understand that the Spirit of God is still teaching today and He's still showing me and He still wants to show you. So over the next few weeks, I'm going to ask you to do something that over the years of Generation Church, I've asked you to do many times. And that is, please, read your Bible again for the first time. Read your Bible again for the first time. I'm going to share some verses with you today, and I actually have the audacity to expect you to read and to study. So often, hey, can we, we should do this Bible study. No, if you would just study the Bible that we talk about for a half hour every single Sunday. Okay, let's be honest. 45, 55 minutes. A Bible that we talk about every single Sunday. You would not have time for any other Bible study. Now, I'm not saying other Bible studies wrong at all. Please hear that. I'm just saying if you want to be in step with what the Holy Spirit is doing in the place that you're in, then be in step with what the Holy Spirit is saying to the people of that place. Lots of Bible to read right here today if you're willing to do the homework this week. Do you understand the assignment? We'll see. Let's start with this. The word revelation does not mean how the world will end. 
But that would be the common belief of most people in Christendom today. When you say revelation, people think end of the world. It's the end of the world as we know it. Do you feel fine? We're getting old because people who are in your 30s and 40s, the generation of young adults and under have no idea what I just did there. Come on. But it is the end of the world as we know it isn't. Look around. Look at the culture catastrophe that we are in as a nation right now. It is the end of the world as we have known it. But behold, Scripture promises this all the way through. Behold, God says, I am doing a new thing. And that's exciting to me, and it should be exciting for you. Old methodologies are going to be allowed to pass away because the Word of God will never pass away. And if you find yourself planted in His Word, rather than the methodology that you were raised in, you will never be out of step or out of sync with what the Spirit wants to do. This is why it's important for our focus to remain on what Jesus says to do and not by what our traditions say we should interpret. So the word revelation does not mean how the world will end. It actually means literally, in the Greek, to uncover something. And, and if you want to go, the most direct or the most plain definition of that would be to lay something out bare naked. To totally uncover, to totally expose it. That's actually what the word means. Now the word revelation in the Greek Sounds like a very familiar word to you. It's apocalypsis. Apocalypsis. And so just right now, understand today. How, how many of you in the last 12 months have heard the word apocalypse? Every single hand should go up. Unless you've been living under a rock, I mean, even my most secular, rig pig, F-bomb dropping, gun-toting, knife-wielding, jiu-jitsu wrestling friends... And yes, I have a lot of super unsaved friends, and so should you. Even those guys are talking about apocalypse. There's something in the air that says, man, something big is going down. But understand that the word apocalypse probably doesn't mean what you thought it meant either. Say apocalypse, and people are like, yeah, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. They want to they rush into understanding something that's a mystery with no guideposts, with no breadcrumbs to follow. And the doctrine gets weird because of that. The word apocalypsis appears 19 times. Quick count I did this morning, actually. 19 times in the New Testament. Two of those times are in the book of Revelation. Apocalypsis, the word revelation, only occurs two times in the book of Revelation. And one of those is the title of the book. Wow, right? So even the book of Revelation is not as much about revelation as you thought it was because the other books of the Bible talk about revelation more than revelation does. I know some of you are stunned by that. You're thinking, man, he is going off the rails. But I tell you something, I'm right about that. Because that's, that's what it is in the Bible. That's what it is in the Bible. There's a major problem for us when we only read Revelation thinking about how to interpret present realities. And that's what largely the people want to do. 
Well, what time are we in? What is the days that we're in? Where does this fit in the timeline of eschatology, the understanding of the end times? Where does it fit? How, what's my part? If I could just know exactly where I am in the timeline, then what? You still don't know when Jesus is coming back. So where you are in the timeline shouldn't change anything about how you live your life today. Some of you aren't going to get this. I can see it's going to take some pounding. That's okay. I've been working out. There's plenty of room in the book of Revelation and what is in there. And in all of Scripture, by the way, again, Revelation is actually talked about more by Jesus. Jesus talks more about the end times in the Gospels in a predictive sense than the book of Revelation talks about it in the book of Revelation. you got, you got to get this. Because when we miss that, we clearly are on the wrong track, on the wrong path, maybe even going the wrong way. So important that we understand this. So Revelation, if we only want to view it through present circumstances, i.e. where we are in Canada right now, where we are in terms of, 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 of uh, digital identification and all of these questions, and they are legitimate questions, don't get me wrong, but in the middle of all that, we are so distracted by it, and, and, and it's not fair to what we are called to do because in doing so, we limit the scope only to the present. And there are many people who have taken Revelation, and, and it's kind of lazy in my opinion, but they write it off. They're dispensationalist about it. Well, that stuff all happened under emperor so-and-so within the first 200 years of the church. So they isolate it to the past. And then you have the modern era, which is we kind of, we kind of isolate everything to the present, to the right now. But you also have sects of Christianity that take this and place it only in the future. And none of those are the correct in their own and absolute way of thinking. Because the book of Revelation is actually dealing with the past, the present, and the future. All three, all the time. And I, I want to say that because it speaks to our present and it looks to our future based on what God has said in the past. We need to be all three. We need to understand that God is speaking to your past, to your present, and to your future anytime he speaks to you. Why is that? It's because time and space are built upon the foundation and the authority of God's word, not the other way around. And when you begin to worship an ideology that places the present or the past or the future in a way that... that that for you to understand it, that God's word has to be established on those things, you're, you're wrong. You've missed it. God's word is not established on time. Time is established on his word. The situations that you and I face today or last year or the days that are coming ahead of us are not based in time. But understand this. These things are based on God's word in who he is. It is never going to be the other way around. And that's why God seamlessly can speak to past, present, and future. Those things he established by the authority of his word. So oftentimes when it gets hard to understand, I said uh, Bible scholars categorize and therefore, hear this the right way, therefore have the potential to limit biblical images or ideas to their past, present, or future tenses. But God's words are eternal. 
right? Somebody say, God's words are eternal. Does that mean past, present, and future? Why, yes, it does. You all get gold stars. Five gold stars each for answering the question right. And even if you didn't, I gave you the answer, and you still get the gold stars. That's kind of how grace works sometimes. God's words are eternal, and therefore, principally, we need to apply that to everything we read. Why? Because his word, it says in Isaiah 55, 11, his word goes out from him, and it does not return to him void. Well, that's what God used to know. That's what God does now. No, that's what God's going to. No, no, that's what God does now and then, and it's what he will be doing in the future. The same word that sustains this world is still the same word that sustains this world. It is not limited by tenses of past, present, and future. So we need to understand that as we read the word of God, that it encompasses all time. It encompasses it. It's not based in it. It's not surrounded by time. It surrounds time itself. And God's word, he says, has the, has the power and the assignment to accomplish what? His will. My, my word goes out and it does not return to me void. In other words, my word goes out and it does not return to me without accomplishing that which I willed it to do. You really got to understand this. And it's crazy to think that any part of his word is limited by then time or space because time and space are established on his word. I'm not saying it's wrong to categorize or organize thoughts in scripture. Let me be clear about that as well. It's just if you're going to do it, I would suggest to you that maybe you use sticky notes on the wall that can be taken down and moved around as your understanding increases rather than writing out your thesis in permanent marker. Because maturation of a believer is an interesting thing. And as we move deeper into the word of God and deeper into understanding, most importantly, deeper into relationship with who he is in his heart, we actually understand a different depth and, and the Holy Spirit begins to connect our brains, this verse to that verse and that verse to here and this imagery to that imagery. And then we begin to realize that God has been writing the same letter to his people, a love letter, a letter of redemption and forgiveness and sacrifice and future hope and glory. He's been writing that letter over and over and over since the garden. The message hasn't changed. God wants a relationship with people. That's the message. So it's not wrong to categorize. We just need to, we need to understand that maybe our categories should move before we think God's word should move. You know what I'm saying? I mean, who of us is going to stand if Jesus walked into the room right now and debate him on the word of God? I wouldn't. I'm just going to get on my face if that happens. You guys can stand around if you want to, but not me. As we mature in Christ so often, our understanding of the context of Christ matures as well. And that's the way it should be. And this does not mean that people under a certain age will have a worse understanding than an older person. Because maturity in Christ is not about physical age. Maturity in Christ is a significant, uh, to a significant point is dependent upon the grace and calling to various ministries or positions of authority and service in the body of Christ. That is to say, a 50-year-old who's been in church his entire life does not necessarily have more spiritual maturity than a 12-year-old who is sold out to Jesus. Some of you might remember a few weeks ago, I challenged you because we welcomed some 
12-year-olds or so, 11, 12, 13s, into committed Gen Church relationship. And let me share the words again with you. Don't let them pass you. Don't let them pass you. Because they will. They're hungry for God. That generation maybe is, has more hunger for Jesus than you do. And you will get run over. You will get run over by them. Maturity in Christ, as I said, is significant, to the significant point is dependent on the grace that he is appointing to us. The calling he has given us. The various ministries or positions of authority and more importantly service in the body of Christ. I wouldn't build the doctrine then on the witness or the testimony or the understanding of a person who has recently had an affair. Speaking of maturity. I, I wouldn't. A major sin issue. I, I'm not going to be like, oh, there's a doctrine we should build on. Now, to be fair, that individual, if they, have, if they have repented and turned, they are going to have a profound grasp on the faithfulness, the mercy, the, the justice, the forgiveness, and the redemptive power of God in their life. And to that end, we should, we should adhere. We should listen, and we should celebrate all those things with them. But far too often we build doctrines without understanding where people are at and we, we read this and we take that and we let all these little th things come in and, and we don't really organize them according to how the Holy Spirit is leading us. We don't take every thought captive as if by spear point. A Bible teacher who has become set in his ways at the same time. Who has become unmovable in his opinions and his ideas of methodologies in the church will fall behind in the days that we're in. I watch people right now and it's breaking my heart leaving churches to go to another church because they're reformers all of a sudden. Guys, the Reformation happened a long time ago. And even the Reformers needed Reformation by the Holy Spirit. And, and by the way, this generation is also being Reformed by the Holy Spirit. And, and for as long as we are here, until the return of Jesus, there will be Reformation happening in the hearts of God's people because that is the progress of salvation in our lives. Reformation. I find it sad to watch people leave a vibrant church to go to another church that only sings hymns because we should be psalmic as we worship, but then they don't use cymbals or harps or lyres or trumpets. The irony is overwhelming to me sometimes. We face lots of criticisms in the church these days. I'm going to get to that in just a moment. I, this is still the introduction to the series, unfortunately, I think. I don't even know. I don't even know. I got to tell you, you want your soul to feel like scrambled eggs, lead a church today. So let's start with this. If you want to understand Revelation, start with Jesus' most obvious instruction to his church. If you want to understand Revelation, let's go to the most obvious instruction Jesus gave his church, which is what? What's the last thing Jesus did before he ascended? Here's what it is, Mark 16, 15 and 16. And he said to them, go, someone say go. go. 
into all the world and preach. Someone say preach. The gospel to all. Someone say all. All creation. He who has believed and has been baptized shall be saved, but he who has disbelieved shall be condemned. Some very unpopular ideas here that I just shared with you. First of which is probably condemnation. Now, I could tie this back for you. If we, had, if we had a whole semester where I had you for four or five, six hours a day, we could actually unpack all this. And I would love to connect the dots for you how, how the culture of the world today is against condemnation but only condemns those things which are righteous because it is setting it up for this return to a pagan and secular mindset. That's what's going on in the background all around us. It is the spirit of Antichrist working in the world. And it always has been working in the world. Guys, Antichrist doesn't appear at some point at the end of the timeline. What spirit was behind putting Jesus on the cross? If not the spirit of Antichrist, of course it was. Can I just tell you, Mark 16 and 15, he gives us the Great Commission, so do some of the other Gospels. Listen to me carefully now, church. There is nothing in the book of Revelation that suggests the church should move off from this command from Jesus. It's not there. You won't read anything in Revelation that says stop preaching the Gospel to every member of creation. You'll never read in the book of Revelation, well, we're in a new season now, you don't baptize anymore. That's the, you'll never read that. But then why is the church stalling? Many doctrines, and I believe that it's not intentional, but they move people away from this idea of actively packing your bags and waiting for Jesus to return. There is nothing in Revelation to support that idea either. Now, some people reference some of the parables like the parable of the ten virgins, to make sure they had enough oil. They reference that when it comes to end times. Let me remind you, that parable is not in the book of Revelation. It's in the book of Matthew. And when we read about it, which I'm going to share with you in just a moment, you're going to see that there is so much more to what you and I are called to do today than simply waiting for the return of Jesus. In fact, in that passage of scripture in Matthew 24 and 25, which is your homework assignment? Welcome to a series on Revelation. Now turn to the book of Matthew. That's going to go it's going to go that way a lot just so you know. Cuz you can't understand Revelation unless you're willing to bring in the context of everything else God has said. It all matters, okay? But you, this week, I, I would love for you to read, to study, to give yourself in the leading of the Spirit. Say, Holy Spirit, how do you want me to take what I'm reading today? Read Matthew 24 and 25. The ultimate call you're going to see, the ultimate theme you're going to see across those two chapters is the call on people not only to be ready for the return of the master, of the savior, of Jesus, of the bridegroom, but more importantly, I would say, to be actively serving in the time that we have. Well, can't I actively wait? You can actively wait. I think that's great. But active waiting looks to me like a person sitting in a doctor's office playing on their phone all the time. 
That's, that's not really actively waiting. That's actively being distracted while you're waiting. What are you to be distracted by? When we come to church on Sunday morning, our focus turns to Jesus. Hopefully when you're having a devotional time this week, your attention, your focus is going to turn to Jesus. Hopefully when you're having intimate moments with your family in your marriage, your focus is going to be able to be at least in part on Jesus. Our focus can be on Jesus in so many things. But guys, I see a church sitting here twiddling its thumbs, not willing to serve with their entire life. Waiting. Jesus. Well, pastor, the Bible does say in the book of Isaiah that they that wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They will mount up. On, exactly. They will mount up. <laughs> well, I'm supposed to wait. Yeah, you're supposed to wait. By the way, I think when Jesus, when the Bible says to wait, it means shut up. Stop talking and filling every moment with your, with your ridiculous noise. Be still. Shut up and know that I am God. know that's harsh. But it's not wrong. Here it is. I'll put it in bold and up on the screen for you. Matthew 24, 25. The theme I see is you need to be found doing God's work when he comes. If Jesus comes back tomorrow, what are you going to be found doing? Every head bowed, every eye closed. How many of you are going to be on your iPhone? Some of you don't have iPhones. You're like, <laughs> I got you, Pastor. Not good for you. I don't think Android will save you or Samsung. <laughs> Why? Your phone. Your phone's not going to. I guess you could be on your phone, I don't know, bringing someone incrementally closer to Jesus. You've got to be found doing God's work when he comes. Too many people use end time doctrine as an excuse to divide and sit back. They speak judgmentally of churches. They are critical of leaders. And, and they're critical of their fellow believers for things like worship and how they serve and whether or not women should do this or that. I fear many of them are missing the reality of what Jesus actually asked us to do, which was to go and preach to every part, to every person in creation. Why do I think that the theme of 24, 25 in Matthew is, yes, about waiting for the return or knowing? Let me just say, let, let's stop say waiting for the master. And let's say knowing he's coming. Maybe sometimes we just got to change, intentionally change one part of our language to affect change in our life. And so rather than waiting on the return of Jesus, we're expecting the return of Jesus but what then in the meantime, here's why I think that. Matthew 24, 45 to 51. This is one in the series of parables that Jesus talked about. There was a fig tree. There was the, the workers. There's um, the, the ten virgins, the ten talents. And then Jesus explains judgment of works. And that's essentially how Matthew 25 ends. Matthew 24, starting in verse 45. Who then is the faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household slaves to give them their food at the proper time? Now, now this is big. I, I think, did we put it up big? I hope you put it up big. Oh, that's okay. You didn't. But blessed is that slave 
whom his master finds doing so when he comes. What, is, what does God bless? God, God, is, God, God wants to bless that servant who is doing when the master returns. God wants to bless the doing. God wants to bless the work of your hands. God wants to bless your ministry. God wants to bless the thing he's called you to walk in. God wants to bless your obedience. God wants to bless your sacrifice when you're giving your sacrifice according to his will and the leading of his spirit. God wants to bless you, but I think God has a hard time blessing people who are doing nothing. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. There's a reward for the servant that is found doing the will of the master. But if that evil slave says in his heart, my master is not coming for a long time, and he begins to beat his fellow slaves, and he eats and drinks with those who are habitually drunk, then the master of that slave will come on that day that he does not expect and at an hour that he does not know and he will cut in two and assign him a place with the hypocrites in the place where there will be the weeping and the gnashing of teeth. This is what I see happening in the church. I hope not our church. But this is what I see. Religious philosophers people drunk on their own opinions, arguing over today's issues of wokeness. Can I just, time out. I'm so sick of people saying things like woke. It's a counterfeit of what the Spirit of God has been saying to the church for 2,000 years and generations upon generations before that. Ephesians says, wake up, O sleeper. Rise from the dead so that Christ will shine on you. You want to talk about being woke? Ephesians says, wake up, O sleeper. And right now the world is in this daze of wokeness. And it's a counterfeit. It's a counterfeit intended to distract people from salvation. Uh, arguing over today's issue of wokeness, people sitting idle, and that means not serving others while they wait and while they expect the master's return. I see people being divisive and argumentative, beating up on others. There are whole internet channels on YouTube devoted to people of one sect saying, this is why you shouldn't listen to Bethel worship. This is why Hillsongs is of Satan. I just, I don't understand how somebody has missed what they're actually called to. Because you won't find anything in the, you will not find any, it's one thing to say you won't find it in the Bible, it's another thing to be able to unequivocally say that there is no theme in the Bible that supports that way of thinking. That you are entitled to to be critically of whoever you want, whenever you want? Because when I see that, what I see is the wicked slave who thinks it's his job to beat up on other slaves rather than be expectantly serving and waiting for the return of the master. 
And people get this way with doctrines like this. They get all wound up and they get all bound up and they get all confused and they get all distracted so much so that they forget what they were actually called to. And what would North America, what would Canada look like if the church was so actively pursuing the commission that Jesus gave us? Guys, we can't make time for those arguments. And sometimes I feel so helpless because I could argue some of you under the ground. I could bury you with arguments. But the Spirit of God says that's not what I've called you to. I've called you to go to that godless heathen that you know over there. And I've called you to love him into the kingdom of God. That's why I've said in the past to some, I won't lower myself to argue with you about base things in doctrines that aren't going to get anybody saved. What a waste. What a waste of time and energy. But as I read, preparing for this message, as I read, I, I began to see and I began to have to search my own heart. Lord, am I, am I a servant? who begins in my heart and in my thinking and my position to beat on others? Holy Spirit, am I actually, am I drunk on my own opinions here? Am I, am I, Holy Spirit, am I thinking right about this? See, if we're not having that conversation with the Holy Spirit, I don't know what you talk to him about. Because I've got lists of things to pray for, and I can pray through those lists. But you know who needs the most prayer and the most focus in my life? Me. <laughs> Me. Little secret. You got to pray for you. You got to work for your relationship with Jesus too. And that will not, by the way, done right, that will not ever, ever, ever take you away from the commission he's given you. It can't. You can't spend time with Jesus and not become more like Jesus. It's not how it works. His influence is far too great. His word is far too powerful. I'm tired of seeing people fall out of sober thinking into the company of drunkards, both literally and ideology, ideologically. It's a tragedy to see how many believers, and specifically in North America, are failing to accomplish the task that Jesus left in our hands. Because it's the end times. The end times. Some of you might think I'm being mean today. Let me just ask you, do you want a pastor or do you want a puppet? tell you one thing, I don't need anybody's hand anywhere near my backside to make my mouth move. We will preach Christ crucified until Jesus comes because that is alone the answer. We will correct and rebuke and exhort because that is what the body needs. A shepherd cradles lambs, but boy oh boy, a shepherd also grabs the sheep flips him upside down, shaves the wool, gives him a good thump on the belly when they get bloated to get the gas out. It's not always pleasant work. 
But in doing so, we have something that's healthy focused on the generation that is coming. Preaching Christ crucified in this church means something for how we do life. It means something for how we do life. The telling of the parables that Jesus shares arrives at the end of Matthew chapter 25 at a scene that Jesus is describing himself as king, judging the works of those who have claimed to believe in him. Now, this is Jesus referring to judgment. One of the other weird things that we see in the world today is that somehow Jesus is not the judge. There is no judgment. No, there's a lot of judgment. The holiness of God will always demand judgment and thank God that Jesus satisfies that demand. But here's what it says, Matthew 25, 34 to 40. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. Naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and invite you in, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and come to you? And the king will answer and say to them, truly, I say to you, to the extent that you did it for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did it for me. Now, if you were raised in any amount of church at all, you're probably familiar with that story. And you probably know that the story continues for a few more verses, and Jesus has almost the same conversation with those who did not do that. I want you to See something with me if you're able this morning. If you have ears to hear what the Holy Spirit wants to say to you. I see in the previous parables, the line of parables, the fig tree, the servants, the, the talents, the virgins. What I see is the depiction of what Jesus is looking for when he has this conversation. You say, well, how that? Well, if you're going to minister to the very least of those who were Homeless in prison, sick, hungry, thirsty, naked, in pr all, all the things in the list we just read. What, what, what do you need? Well, you need the active gathering and distribution. And it's not an accident that Jesus spoke these parables the way he did and then finished with the story. Because what you need to do unto the least of these is what? Well, you need the provision of food, the fig tree. You need, you need that provision in your life, and you need oil in your life, and you need money in your life, and you need to be serving in your life so that you are provisioned to meet the needs of those who are as Christ to you. It's not just that the, the servants with the talents were preparing for the end. They were preparing for whenever the master might show up. Not just the end. The virgins weren't gathering oil just for the moment. They were gathering oil so they were prepared for any moment. 
And the fig tree produces its fruit because the season is right and it's time for it to produce fruit. And you can know some of the things that are going on in the seasons. When God begins to pour provision into your life, you should never think, oh, sweet, God is blessing me. No, God puts provision into your life because he is bringing someone who you are going to be called to bless. And I guess we got a lot of work to do because that should have made somebody say amen. Just think for a minute with me. Come on. Why does God bring provision into your life? Well, because the Bible says God will supply all my needs. No. He said, and my God, speaking to the group, come on, and my God shall supply for all your need according to his riches and glory. Once again, this ideology that somehow it says it's about my personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Yeah, it's personal. But he is our Lord and Savior. It is corporate in its reality. Yeah, worship team, you can come up. You guys should know by now not to wait for an invitation. You got to come up so I know I got to be done. <laughs> I think my voice is going to make sure I'm done today. Church, the times we're in should be drawing you into the church, not out of the church. Let me say it again. The times we're in should be drawing you into the church, not out of the church. Because something's out of alignment if you're finding it the other way. Something's out of alignment. Every minute you spend arguing, every minute you spend carrying on with whatever thing you could do with, you are missing, let me tell you this, by the Spirit of God, you are missing an opportunity to do good unto Jesus. See, most of us don't live our lives thinking about this. But every time you go out of your way to minister to someone, what is Jesus saying when he speaks to us that way? You're, you're not just helping a homeless person. You're ministering to Jesus. You're ministering to Jesus. And that's what he's called us to do. Every time, every time you're preaching the gospel to anyone, you're, you're preaching to someone who is called to be one with Christ in the body of Christ. You're ministering unto Jesus because you minister unto his body. So stop, stop worrying, stop arguing, stop, stop wondering about what's next. Because your what's next was answered when Jesus said, go to the world and preach the gospel, live the gospel love people, minister to people, do the things he's called you to do, do what the Holy Spirit puts in front of you today, don't delay on it, do it in obedience now, the best time to get water baptized is now, the best time to receive the Holy Spirit is now, the best time to come to Jesus is right now, the best time to be healed is right now, whatever your situation is, the best time is not tomorrow, but it's now. Because this is the moment that you're in, and this is the moment that he is here. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon his name while he is near. Now is the time.
right now today. Because if I could just simplify, if I could dumb all of Revelation down to one verse, this is what it would be. I'm going to put it up for you. Are you ready? Revelation 3.20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. The whole book of Revelation is not a mystery that you are never to be able to un un uncover or understand. It's not about that. The book of Revelation, like every book of the Bible that came before it, is a call to repentance. It's a call for sinners to come home. It's a call for the lame to walk, the blind to see, the deaf to hear. It's a call for the unrighteous to move into a life of righteousness. It's a call for you and I to come into relationship with Jesus. So behold, he says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I'm going to come in and we're going to fellowship together. We're going to share a meal together. I will tell you great and marvelous things. All of scripture begins to flow through the person, through the man, Jesus Christ, fully God, fully man, son of heaven, all flowing through him as a conduit into your life so that you will be resurrected with him in his life. That's what Revelation is about. The letters to the churches. The lamb with seven eyes and seven horns. And the dragon with 52 heads and all the other mysteries and all those other things. Guess what? It's all about Jesus calling to people. Come, all you who are weary and heavy laden. I will give you rest. If you're thirsty, come to me. If you're blind, come to me. If you're naked, come to me. If you're wretched, if you're poor, come to me. That's what Revelation is about. It's about the gospel going into this world and changing this world. And I know that doesn't fly very well right now. Because so many of us, just like the Israelites were 2,000 years ago, are looking for a Jesus to come and somehow be the Messiah of our nation when Jesus wants to move so much farther outside of our nation than we could ever imagine. And guys, if we don't catch this, if we don't get this, I fear we're going to miss the move of God that is building right now and ready to be released in this generation. It's coming because now is the time. And revival is ready and is, it is bursting with ripeness to begin to flow forward. But if nobody's going to preach and if nobody's going to respond to the call because we're all sitting around twiddling our thumbs and waiting for this return of Jesus, come on. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. The next few weeks I think are going to be interesting. It's going to be actually a lot of fun. There's going to be some sarcasm. There's going to be some weird things we get to talk about. But I think you're going to be pretty excited and encouraged by the end of it. All I know is this, is that he wants more relationship with you because you're worth it to him. You're worth it to him. So here's the prayer I want us to pray this morning. And I would just, I would urge you just pray this prayer and actually expect him to answer you. Because if I know anything, I know I know this is this is worth something. The prayer is a question, and it's not very long. But here's what I, here's what you can pray. Holy Spirit is what I'm believing today, making me more or less like Jesus. 
That's it. Holy Spirit is what I believe today, making me more or less like Jesus. And my friends, we got to let the Holy Spirit answer us because he might tell us some things we're not really wanting to hear, but we desperately need to hear it so we can be aligned with him and on assignment with him and in agreement with who he is. So just stand. We're going to sing one last song. We always do. I want to give you a moment just to, in the presence of God, see what he wants to say to you. If you want prayer this morning, you come forward. If you don't have a relationship with our Heavenly Father because you have not received Jesus into your life to be your boss and the one who saves you and forgives you from sin, that's a step you can take right now today. You can have a relationship with Him by an act of your will, by choosing to put your faith in Jesus. And we'd love to pray with you. If you have sickness in your body, why not now? Why not now come and get prayer for it? If your marriage is in trouble, why not now come and get prayer for your situation? So, Father, for every person that's here, Lord, for every person that's watching online today, Holy Spirit, we're asking, is there anything that I'm believing in, God, that is not making me more like you, Jesus? Because, Lord, we want to reflect you. We want to wake up, Lord. We want to arise. We want to be raised from the dead with you, Lord. And we need, Jesus, your light to shine on us so that it reflects to the world around us. So that your mission in this world can be accomplished. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for joining us in another podcast from Generations Church. If you enjoyed listening today, please subscribe to our podcast channel to get a new one each week. For additional information or to partner with us, please check out our website at www.genchurch.ca.